Turn, if you will, to Malachi chapter 1. I'm going to take a two-week break here for me from the book of John since uh, I'm not going to be around a little bit, and our other brethren will be preaching for us. And uh, I want to go on record and uh, state what I think God wants us to do when it comes to our capital stewardship. And so I'm taking a two-week hiatus. We'll come back to John later. Believe me, it will be waiting for us. There's plenty yet to say about this marvelous book. Um, If you will, turn to uh, Malachi, the Italian prophet Malachi. Uh, Turn there, and I'm going to read just the um, first chapter, but really the thought goes through chapter 2, verse 9 because he begins to upbraid the priest. Listen to what he says. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says, these are the descendants of Esau, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down, and they will be called the wicked country, and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. That is some statement for God to be angry with you forever. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you. O priest, who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? by saying that the Lord's table may be despised. The Lord's table is the altar where the offerings were given. When you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God, that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there was one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering for your, from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name. And a pure offering, for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit that is its food may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. 
You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has made has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Chapter 2, 1 through 9, he rebukes the priest for not standing up to this sacrilege and being a part of it. And he begins to tell them, I will reject your offerings. I will judge you for the way you're conducting the office. He said, I set Levi aside to be full of knowledge, to teach my people, and yet you've abandoned the function of Levi, and you've become a disgrace to me. Uh, this book was written about 100 years after Israel returned from Babylonian captivity. And uh, while they're back, the people are thinking, uh, there's no Davidic monarch on any throne. We're under the Persians. They're taxing us. They were very kind to be under. They were kind of laissez-faire with Israel. Uh, as long as they paid their taxes, they let them go through with their religion, didn't harass them, let them just go on. But uh, he's going to deal with several issues, and we want to look at it. Number one, uh, how has God loved us? How has God loved us? Two, how are we loving God back. And number three, what I want to get to is we are considered by Peter to be believer priests. First Peter 2.5 said, you have become believer priests. We don't have a priesthood. We don't go to a confessional booth. We don't go to any middleman. If you're a child of God, the priesthood of every believer is you get to go to God for yourself. There's only one middleman, God the Son, Christ the mediator between God and men. So we're the priest, and he has said six things I want from my New Testament priest that I want them to offer to me. And I will just hit lightly upon those things and underscore them in your mind. But um, let's look a little bit at what he's saying here. He tells them... Uh, I love you, Israel. You're my chosen people. They come back and say, how have you loved us? We're not free from all of our problems. We don't want the Gentiles in our land. Everything's not going the way we want. How in the world have you ever loved us? And so God goes back in their history all the way back to the patriarchs. And the first thing he says, I have chosen you. I have chosen you. And he uses strong language to say, I hated Esau. And now the two men represent the nation of Israel and the Edomites. And to hate is probably a comparative word of, I've chosen to be indifferent towards Esau. This was the word uh, when the patriarch he did not pay any attention to Leah. And he said he hated her. He didn't work viciously against her. He was indifferent to her. She wasn't his favorite. It meant not to be chosen. 
And God could say to Jacob, Jacob, Israel, even though I've had to discipline you in exile, even though I've had to deal with your sins of idolatry, have I not loved you all the way from the patriarchs? I opened up red seas. I fed you with manna. I sent you prophets. I gave you a king like David after my own heart. Have I not been working among you, little Israel? Uh, the Philistines are no more, but Israel is still around. The Edomites are no more. You can't find any Edomites. But Israel is still alive and well. How has she gotten so far? Where did she come up to get anything from God? He said, I simply chose to love you. And then he's telling them, I've even restored you to the land. Edom hasn't been restored. I, I've taken away their land. It, it is inhabited by jackals. It's uninhabitable. But here you folks are back in the land. So I've treated you much different than Edom, much different than Esau. You are the objects of my divine love. And they're saying, how have you loved me? me. Do you ever see believers that get in that doldrum? I don't know if God loves me. Things aren't going my way. Uh, you know, I, I, we have sickness in the family. We have financial trials. Uh, cancer isn't immune from us just because we have Christianity. We still bury people. We still have our trials. And all of a sudden you're saying, God, do you really love me? His answer is always, I chose you, I've restored you, I've made you my very own, and we have to ask ourselves, has God loved any of you? Could you say I'm truly beloved by God? See, until you get this, this is really the theme of the whole book of Malachi. It's the story of jilted love I have loved you, but I've become a strain for you to love back. I did you like Ezekiel 16, Israel. When I was in the wilderness, I found a baby girl squirming in the blood of the afterbirth. The placenta was nearly drowning the baby girl. And I came upon you in the wilderness, Israel. And in the midst of the afterbirth and the placenta, I reached in and I picked up a bloody little girl. And I washed you and I bathed you and I took care of you. And he tells the story of a little girl growing up, coming into puberty, becoming beautiful, becoming a developed young lady. He says, then I begin to put ornaments on you. I put... Uh, perfumes on you. I'll put jewelry on you. I dressed you. And finally, I thought, you know what? You would make a beautiful and a wonderful bride. But when you came to the age of love, he said, you begin to sleep with everything in the land but me. You begin to sleep with every idol. You slept with Egypt. You slept with Assyria. He's using the analogy, I raised you as a little dying infant. I raised you up hoping you would reciprocate my love and be my people. And when it got to the time of love, you squandered it on all the pagan idols of every country, and you never would serve me. 
If you're here today and you're God's child, let me tell you on the authority of the cross and the authority of the Word of God, you are loved. God has so loved you in Christ. He has lavished grace upon grace upon you. He has restored what sin tried to destroy. I think how many of you folks in this place today wouldn't still be married to the same woman had God not rescued you? Well, you can't amen that right now. She's looking. But I, I see a lot of folks, they'll tell me, you know, on the side, we wouldn't be married, Pastor, if it wasn't for God coming into our lives. We barely marry now, and we've God's in our life. Uh, it's all over. Or, or uh, did God ever restore any children to you? Or did God ever bring you back from the brink of drugs and sex and alcohol and a debauched life? And he said, oh, you wouldn't know where God's brought me from. I have been loved by God over and over and over. But, but once you lose that, once you lose that love, see, let, let me talk about, we're in a stewardship program. Let me tell you what's tricky about it. It's like uh, Eastern medicine, Chinese medicine versus the West. With all my ailments, I've had several Chinese people work on me, trying to get me better, and they say, oh, you've got to watch Western medicine. I said, yeah, what about it? They said, it goes this way. Western medicine gives you a pill to deal with the symptom. Take this pill and we'll get you out of pain. Now, we haven't cured anything. You're just out of your head. You know, if I knock you out, you don't feel anything. But you still got your problem whatever brought the pain. That's what's so tricky about uh, athletic injuries. You know, we'll give you enough medication uh, to get you out of the pain so you can run, so you can play another football game. But you keep going like that, it's going to catch up with you because they're just getting you out of pain. They don't have time to let you heal. But they say Chinese medicine, they tell me, we deal with symptoms. We deal with symptoms. We want to get to the root. Well, I like how that sounds. I'll take it either way. And I think when you come to this matter, and we're in a stewardship program, you know, it's tricky. It's easy to go after the symptoms of you having fallen out of love with God. But the heart of the issue is, is God the central love of your life? And it starts this way. It doesn't start with you loving God. It starts with you understanding you are being loved by him no matter what you do. He's loved you. He's tracked you down. He is saved. I'm assuming I'm talking to saved people. Now, if you're lost and you don't know Christ, well, what in the world are you doing here? Because I can't offend a saved crowd preaching the Bible. I can't offend, I can't offend saved people as long as you get the Bible, right? You know, I got my ears on the streets. I hear some of this rumbling. Well, I don't know. We want another stewardship. Oh, no, wait, 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 wait. Don't, don't talk that way to me. He's talking to these people. He says, I want you to know I've loved you more than Edom, more than Esau, more than every There's never been a nation God ever chose, not even America, like he chose Israel. 
I've given you covenants, given you promises, and the Messiah will come out of Israel. Now, after this, God says, uh, let's talk about whether you love me. What do you mean, you, you, whether we love you? Yes, let me ask you some questions. Let's go to verse 6. Are you there? A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? And the word fear in the Old Testament means love, reverence, to serve, to obey. It's a catch-all word. Where's the fear? O priest who despise my name. And through this chapter, he says, I'm Lord God Almighty. I'm as a father to the nation. Uh, I am as a master, a Lord that owns the property, owns uh, possessions. I am master. He says at the end of the chapter, I am a mighty king. My name will be great beyond the borders of Israel. I am a great and awesome God, and I ask this. Why don't you honor me as your father? Uh, where is the reverential fear you give me if I'm your master? I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all creation. See, your view of God will always take the strain out of doing anything for him. God doesn't depend on his people to sustain him. He just says, do you want to reverence me? Do you want to honor me? Now, they say, wait, wait, we're doing a great job. How have we despised you? Well, you despise me by offering polluted food upon my altar. And that was basically a soiled, dirty food. Um, because the, the sacrifices were considered sacred meals you offered to the God. And he said, the meal you're offering me isn't according to the book of Leviticus. You're bringing the wrong stuff. It doesn't have my approval. Because, you see, I measure the giver by the gift and the gift by the giver. Was that the best you can do? And if you think God cares... Read the story of Cain and Abel in Genesis 4, and he doesn't accept Cain's offering. God doesn't accept just anything you bring. The motive has to be right, and it has to be something, he says, that's honorable to me. God knows what you're offering him. And he said, because I'm a great God, I deserve honor. How have we despised you by what you're offering me? Polluted food? He goes on. Uh, when you offer blind animals, is that not evil? When you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? See, if he told the Persian governor, hey, let me give you this sick lamb, this diseased animal, in lieu of my taxes to the Persian government, will he accept it? No, you know he will not. But you're winding up offering to me what I, is totally against my word, totally against what I prescribe for you to give. And so then he said, uh, uh, and how, now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to you. 
And with such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? You are cutting off the heart of God to be gracious to you by the offensive kinds of things you're doing toward him. You're not honoring him. You're not treating him like father, like master. You are just cutting yourself. God will not be gracious to those who treat him with no loving respect. He just says, you're hurting yourself. Then he says something that's astounding. Oh, that there was somebody there that could shut the doors of the temple. What does that mean? Oh, that there was one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. If you're not going to honor me, quit playing church is what he's saying. Shut the temple door. Slam it shut. I'm not being worshipped anyway. I'm not being honored. Close the door. Wish somebody shut the place down. See, God, God's not fooled by how he's treated. He knows if it's really from the heart, if we're really loving what we're doing. God knows if we give begrudgingly. God knows if it's a strain for us. Anytime it's for God, it's hard. Anytime it's for us, it's fun. As long as it's my agenda, whatever I want, my money, my time, as long as it's for me, my, my, uh, there's no problem. When it comes to God, then the strain, then uh, the cramping. He said in 2 Corinthians, why does it cramp you to love? And the word there means no space, no space. So you're cramped in the heart. And the psalmist said, enlarge my heart that I might pursue your commandments. Our problem in giving, serving, uh, showing up, it's a heart problem. And we can't fix you by having you write a check every week. No, that would be totally, totally unacceptable. If we wrote out a check every week for you and put the amount we wanted, it still wouldn't be acceptable by God. Because God said, this isn't coming from your heart, is it? You don't really love what you're doing. And that's why it's a bigger problem than any stewardship program can solve. See, in the church, this is what we deal with in stewardship. I heard John MacArthur one time at a pastor's conference say, every time we get a crop train at Grace, they seem to move, go on, and we're always starting all over. We're always starting. And so we have uh, many people that come to Valley, uh, don't know how long you've been coming, and we have to start all over that, believe it or not, this work is not subsidized by the government, but by those who call this their home church. Does that make sense? And uh, when we do a stewardship program, there's three things we're trying to do. We're trying to educate the ignorant. Ignorant about God's plan. Uh, I, I had a man tell us that all, the, all of his life, when his mother took him to church, she always gave. And then I said, and what was that? And he said, $5. Okay, that's nice. But could you support a church on the members giving $5 a week? I don't hear you. Let me, let me, let me just burst the bubble. No. 
we couldn't have our youth department. We couldn't have our children's department. Our, got, our seniors are now at a snow camp for the weekend. Our women at a women's retreat. Just, we, couldn't, we couldn't pay the utilities in this place just for that. Our rent's about 32000 a month. That's before all the utilities. So 32000 a month, we would take more than $5 per person from you. So we're always up to educate, educate. And not, there's not one in 500 among you could get up here and speak on it. You say, blah, 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 blah. I wouldn't know what to say. We know that's the problem. Nobody's saying it. Where do you learn? Many of you came up in Catholic churches that never taught you to tithe. You, you, just, you just dropped something in the plate. That was doing good. Some of you grew up in church. You've just never been educated. So we want, number one, to educate. And that's why we're loving this little book on how to give. And you, you could scream in your private prayer place, ah, I never saw that before. Good. That's why we gave it for private surgery. <laughs> See? And then, too, we want to stimulate you because when you give a lot and you've been faithful all these years, Instead of us throwing a party for you, we're saying, hey, we're signing up again. You say, well, will it ever be over? No, it won't be until you get to heaven, and there'll be no offerings in heaven. Amen. Why? I want to go to heaven. No, it'll be all over. It won't be any more Sunday school classes. There won't be any service. You're just going to be in church for eternity. Now, some of you are not sure you want to go. So you mean we're going to do this for eternity? Yep. You ought to take that through. If you don't love him, heaven will bore you. God made hell because he won't make anyone go to heaven. He doesn't make people go to heaven. There's an opposite. It's up to you. But when you come to know him, you come to love him. He's the most wonderful thing that ever happened to any of us. So you want to stimulate people to keep doing God's will. And yet thirdly, we want to liberate you from the slavery of being stingy, maybe non-systematic, not being a proportionate giver, as 1 Corinthians 16 says. And we see every time we speak on money in this church, our offerings increase and people get liberated and they never want to go back. And that's what we're hoping happens in your heart. Now, if you've got it all down, good. Just don't be negative to anybody that hasn't got it yet because we're going to find you. You just say, God is good. Give. You won't ever outdo it. Give. Uh, just that God will bless. But here they are. They're saying, oh, it's a strain. We're going to offer all this roadkill to the Lord. Uh, oh, we, we killed something on the road. Let's give it to God. Uh, he said, you ought to close the doors. The table's polluted. And you say, verse 13, what a weariness this is. This making offerings and going to temple and having priests. And I'm weary of it. And they actually, their attitude is to snort in anger. And man, I don't want to. I want to know about God. I don't want to hear about money. Well, sorry. And I'm lying. I am not sorry. 
When I speak for God, I try to take God's attitude. He's not sorry. He's revealing the wickedness of our hearts. Our problem in these areas is remember Ephesus from which you've fallen. You've fallen out of love with the God that loved you, restored you, saved your marriage, saved your home, done everything great in your life. He did it. And now when it comes to giving back love to him, it's a strain. It's weariness. Oh, the disgust of it. I see a brokenhearted God in Malachi 1. It's breaking his heart that his people feel this way about him. He goes on. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept it from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Uh, what is he saying there? You're a cheat. And what he's saying here is, is you vowed that this fine animal, whatever, you already vowed it to the Lord, and when it comes time to do it, you keep it, and you get an animal that's less, obviously blemished, that, that uh, you wouldn't eat, maybe diseased, and, and you, you swap. You keep that one for you that you promised, and you give this one that you wouldn't give your governor, that you wouldn't eat. You give it to God, and you call it worship. Call it worship. Lloyd-Jones, the great preacher, Elton used to hear him in London. Elton told me once, I'd rather hear Jones pray than some men preach. I would go to the service just to hear Lloyd-Jones pray. Powerful Welsh preacher. And he tells the story of a uh, farmer who uh, had a cow, and one day he came in and he told the wife, said, honey, our cow has just had twins. And said, we have uh, a set of twins, and one of them happens to be white, and one of them are red. And he said, I just feel led, like we ought to raise these calves, and when it comes time, we'll sell one, take the money, and, and use it, and we'll sell the other calf and give it to the Lord's work. And the wife said, well, well that's great. Which one? He said, oh, no, we don't need to worry about that now. Let's just go ahead and raise them. We'll do it. One day he walked in the farmhouse with like a sad look. He said, honey, I've got some bad news for you. She said, what is it? He said, the Lord's calf died. <laughs> think, think, it's heavy. Kind of think it through. Don't name it, the Lord's calf always dies. Huh? Well, I was going to give that to the Lord. Why didn't you? Well, because you're being deceptive, and you hope God doesn't know. He does. He goes on, and you, you do this blemish. And then he says in chapter 2, I just, I don't have time to develop it. I'm going to take the offal, the refuse, the manure from your sacrifices, and it is sometimes used of the entrails 
I'm going to take them, priest, and I'm going to put them in your face. That's what I think about what you're doing. That's pretty blunt. That's how unimpressed I am with what's going on at my house by my people whom I chose. I'm going to take what you're doing to me, and I want to spread it as though it were manure on your face and say, get this straight. I'm not this kind of God. I will not be diminished by the way you're treating me. I am a mighty king. I'm worthy of more than this. If you don't see giving as who you're giving to, you'll always offer leftovers. It will always be a strain. Serving God. You know, that's where we got more Christians semi-tired. You know what I find out? I've been trying to exercise, getting ready for this surgery. They say the more exercise you do, you get ready for the surgery. You're supposed to heal better. So I'm doing things where I used to be three minutes, you know, on a treadmill. I'm up to five. No, I'm not more than that. But, but you, you know what gets you? I don't know about you. The less you do, the less energy you have to do. That's deep. I want you to think through this. The less you do, let's watch TV, pass, please pass the chips. Please pass this wonderful Coke with eight teaspoons full of sugar in it. And, and how much do you weigh now? I'm, I'm working on about 290. And, and uh, when do you exercise? You know, kid, I just stay so tired. You stay tired. Yeah, I told my wife off here the other night. She got a hold of the remote, and I had to get up and change the station. Oh, you did, huh? Yeah, we're filing any moment. No, I had a friend of mine said he couldn't date the gal he's dating. I said, why? He said, she wants the TV controls. And my first wife always let me have them. I'm not letting any woman have the TV controls. That's dangerous to your marriage. The less you do for God, the tireder you get to do anything for God. I, are we having church? <laughs> yeah. What time did you get to bed staying home? Oh, about 11.30. What well, when I miss the news? You know, the important stuff happens at 11. Well, we usually go at the latest to about 8. I just get so tired in church because you guys sing all those Baptist songs anyway, you know. You're real slow and tired and blind. Just say it. You just fell out of love with God, and anything with God makes you tired. You want to go to the show? Yeah. When are we going to go? Come on. What's the name of the movie? Can we get there early? I want to get the tickets and order that family bag of popcorn. I, I, I can make it. Well, it, it gets out at 11. You got to go to work on my, Ooh, I get energized when I see him kill a few people. I just, I got to get out there. Oh, and when James is chasing eight women at the same time, it, it sort of enriches my marriage. No, no, no. You got energy for what you love. You got money for what you love. Your money and your time goes to what you love. You pagan. You love idols. 
You love things that won't save your children. You love things that won't last, that won't last at all. And you make serving God hard work. Hard work is sin. Sin to keep you in the bar till 2. You hit the job at 6.30, and you're going to still lose your woman, and you're weeping over it. And the only thing that can save your marriage and your kids is God, and you're too tired to serve him. Too tired to thank him. Too tired to come back and say, if nobody in my family gets saved, you saved me. You chose me. You've turned my steps around. I was headed to destruction. I'm going to heaven. I was once unloved by my mother, my father, my friends. I'm loved by God. I've got the cross. I've got the church. Oh, don't tell me. It's hard. The wages of sin is death. All the way of a transgressor's hard, hard. You look at your friends that stayed out there at sin and bars and all-night parties and drugs and women and playtime. You look at them at 45. Sin is a killer. Jesus is eternal life. Jesus Christ is eternal life. Jesus Christ is peace, joy, and the Holy Ghost. Go into heaven forever. You mean you're going to show up in heaven and say, God, you're going to share all this with me, and I made it a strain in the meantime to send you any gifts. Jesus said, send it on all earthly treasuries that passes. He said, send it ahead. For everything you send ahead, rust won't touch it, robbers can't get it, and moths can't eat it. If you send it ahead, it'll be waiting for you when you get over there. He said in Luke 16, if you invest in people's lives for Christ, when you get there, there will be a welcome line, and they will welcome you into eternal dwellings. said, I was a boy, as we often heard her title say, when I was a young Roman Catholic boy living with a, a single mom. My dad died young. I came to this church. I got saved. He tells us, I never paid for a camp. I never paid for this. Well, who paid? Some child of God in this church wrote a check and thought the boy was worth it. Guess what? When you stand in the presence of Jesus, he said, if you gave a cup of cold water in my name, I'm going to see you get rewarded. I've kept a record of everything, every dime, every penny. I keep a record. And he says in Malachi chapter 3, in those days, God had a book of remembrance. He wrote down everything the remnant gave God. They gave their best. They gave him his heart. God was not wearisome to serve. You need to repent. You need to get saved. You need to get out of churchianity that is bankrupt of God. You've lost your first love, uh, Ephesus. You need to come back when you couldn't get enough of God. You couldn't get enough of church because you found a refuge in a fallen world. And now we just get tired. The less you do, the more you don't want to do because you need the Spirit of God to change your heart towards God. Oh, don't tell me we do too much. We do too little. We're living in the final hour of history, and a lot of saints are sleepy. They're just sleepy. They're not aware. We've got one hour before sunset to win our victories. We'll have all eternity to celebrate them. We just got one hour.
one hour. If you're going to teach that boy or girl, now's the time. If you're going to be a Sunday school teacher, now's the time. If you're going to evangelize, now. If you're going to pray, now. If you're going to give, now. You're heading towards the cemetery quicker than you don't know that you'll get home today. And what bothers me is we got about five to 600 people in this church that give about $10 a week because they get a receipt for less than 500. And if most of them died, our offerings would never go down because they, they don't know a God that would ever get your pocketbook. I, I know some folks, they're already looking for another church. It's always a good time to look for another church when you're preaching stewardship. I was amazed at how many folks showed up once we got the building built. Ooh, the Lord been leading us. Where were you when we were building? We were driving by, hoping you wouldn't die of a heart attack. Where were, where, where were you when we were under the load? Now, a lot of you folks came after this, so you, don't, you can be guilt-free. We built it for you, too. But, oh, oh, everybody wants to take the credit, but not everybody wants to do the work. Not everybody wants to bear the load. And that's where our young men, when they preach, they're going to tell you what God's taught our youth pastors, what God has taught another generation about this giving. Six sacrifices he tells a New Testament priest to make. I'm going to say them in five minutes. Can you take notes? Go. This will get rid of arthritis if you use your hand. Here we go. We're going to go. Number one, Hebrews 13, 15. Lips that continually give God praise. That's what he says. Offer the sacrifice of praise. Lips that continually confess his name. Number one, let me ask you, uh, if we were to examine your lips and your conversation at the end of the week, could we say the praise of God multiplies just because you're still alive? Or are you a part of that murmuring crowd? That always kills leaders and always quenches the spirit. God goes on to say in Hebrews 13, I've got to read this so you don't think I'm making it up. He says, because 1 Peter 2.5 says this about you, that you are believer priests. Listen to what he says. Because he's rebuking the priests back here, but you are the priests now. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. And being spiritual means they're non-bloody. There's no blood. There's no entrails. There's no cutting up. These are non-bloody, but now listen to what they are. Over in Hebrews 13, are you there? Verse 15, through him... Then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. That's the first sacrifice. I'm going to praise you forever, Lord. My lips, my mouth is dedicated to advertising your great name. He can only get your lips if he gets your heart. Because you can't speak what's not in your heart unless you become a hypocrite, and church is full of hypocrisy. Drawing nigh with our lips, but our hearts far from him. But we want 
to give him praise. That's a New Testament sacrifice. Two, let's keep on here. Do not neglect to do good. And let's just stay, look at the verse. Uh, do not neglect to do good. Uh, help a friend. Do whatever is in the way of good, because this is going to be called a sacrifice. And share, three, three, share what you have. Now notice, for such sacrifices, get it, are pleasing to God. So three things. Praise him. Don't neglect to do good. Share with those in need. There's three. Number four, Romans 15, 16 says, share the gospel as a priest, as a priest. And Paul says he is going to share the gospel as a sacrifice to God. Look at Romans. See, giving and evangelism reveals our heart. Everybody says it's hard work. It is when you don't love the one you're speaking for. To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. He saw evangelism as a priestly sacrifice. Priestly sacrifice. Romans 12, 1 through 8, it is serve God with all the talent he's given you. Serve God with all the talent. And he's talking about spiritual gifts, but I don't care if he's let you learn a computer, throw that in. Every gift, every talent, every ability, if he gets your body, he said, now would you serve me with you? I gifted you. Don't put him on the shelf. Serve me. It's a reasonable sacrifice. A reasonable sacrifice. And then he says in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, a verse like this. Listen to it. 9, 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And then I just want to read Philippians a imprisoned missionary wrote this thank you note. I have received full payment and more, 418. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Never claim verse 19 if you're not doing verse 18. If you're not offering the sacrifice of financial assistance to the work of God, 419 is not your promise. He promises that to the giver. My God will supply the needs of those who give as a New Testament priest. Oh, I ask you, what is God worth to you? What would you pay for that woman you call your wife? I couldn't pay for my wife. 
You can't, I, I, at the price of gold, according to Proverbs, a good wife, her price is far above rubies and gold. I couldn't afford her. I didn't have to buy her. I got her as a gift from God. My salvation, how many payments would I have to make on something that's eternal? How long would I have to make payments? And I, I read the deed. It said, paid in full thanks to Calvary. Just receive it. Are you here today? We don't want your money. God doesn't want your money. He wants you. But if you have now come to him, why don't you help us? Some people ask me questions like this. What are we going to get out of capital stewardship programs? Uh, one simple answer is probably when we quit having a mortgage. Well, that's a little simplistic. It could be sarcastic. But I don't want to be. Our mortgage is about 32000 a month. What leadership would like to do is the mortgage payment to be a part of our general fund. Move it over so we don't need a capital. Just go ahead, make it a fixed expense. Well, our weekly budget is 40000 Last week, 29000 came in. So we missed it by 11000 That's without paying the mortgage. We would not be able so far, the way our general fund is just barely making it, there's not enough on the general fund side to pay a mortgage. So these capital steward programs have become just, and guess what? Here's the thing. Um, we, we already have done the stats. We've already uh, done it. Uh, uh, Ron Hughes has done the study. We have the kind of files because we send out receipts that we know 800 people give less than $500. We know that 20%, that is it, two people out of every 10 people in this church are the ones that keep the doors open. That's both as servants and as givers. Uh, the other eight are just, uh, I don't know what, what they're thinking. They don't know. They're not helping us. And so our general fund has not grown. We haven't hired anybody for three years. Uh, we replace people that step away. But uh, we haven't added there. We need $350,000 of improvements on roofs that are leaking. And every time they, it rains, it's destroying other rooms. We've got to pay more. All of this overhead, uh, and, and when I talked to, like, John Anderson, and I remember when Malcolm was at the mission, they owned their buildings. When you own the buildings, you get rid of the biggest expense we've got at Valley, the building. That's our biggest expense. But when I'm working with Jews for Jesus, they buy outright all their buildings. They don't, wanna, they don't want any notes. They don't want any paper. They don't want to pay interest. We're paying interest, 20000 a month. Because we've not been a well-heeled church. We've had very few gifts in this church of great amounts of money. As a whole, our people are not well-heeled, wealthy people. That's just the fact. But one of our brothers was just doing some math uh, last week and was saying, you know what, if we had 800 people, now this is millennial, this is dreaming, if 800 of our people started giving $40 a week. That's $160 a month. And it totaled about $126,000 a month, something like that. Might be off a little. About $126,000 a month. In three years, we'd pay off this mortgage. If we had that many, that 800 that come, because in this building, 
I would say about 3,000 people go through here a week because our youth groups, our junior high groups, our children's groups, things go. Do you ever come down here during the week? This building's going almost every day. So we got, but what we need is uh, others to join us. And if we can give on the general fund side, so we've got two-pronged approach. We have the immediate mortgage. We've got the immediate uh, maintenance issues. And then we've got the goal, why are not people joining us on the general fund side? I don't know. I do not know. And uh, uh, we'll do whatever it takes. But you know what? I'd love to pay the building off so that that money's all free to pour into missions, personnel, whatever. I, I just hate paying interest forever. But guess what? Would you even pray with us? Would you pray? Because I don't want to be a beggar for money. I'll beg you to come to Christ, but I'm not going to beg you to give. That's an insult to my God. But I will try to educate you, and I won't apologize. If God writes it, don't come up to me and look for me to be all timid if it's about money. If that's what the verse says. That's what I'm going to say. If that's see. And if you're already giving, you ought to shout and be praying and help me to choke the, I mean, help the person next to them to give. And so I want you to pray. It's a spiritual warfare, though, because it takes the heart or anything you would give, you'd lose your reward because you would do it out of a wrong spirit. But when it's a love gift because you love him and because God's not wearisome to you, then it smells good to God. And he says, this is pleasing to me. But any arm twisting, any compulsion, or any of that, God would judge all of us because that would, that would wound. I hate to think God is so homely, so ugly, and so bad that he's hard to give to. That was my greatest struggle when I was dating young or a teenager. I never knew how to buy a girl a gift that she wouldn't think I was shabby. She always made my sister go with me. Make me look good. Make me look good. And I'd give those girls that gift. You know, now you think of this. You really love this girl. I love you, honey. And I, I, I found some roadkill on the road. And I, I thought I would just put it in a box that, that it would mean something to you. Do you think you would get a second date? Because your gift, you're saying what you think she's worth. Now, when you're a teenager, you don't have hardly any money. Anything will practically do. But as you go up, she's praying you'll get a job. The gifts had better improve if she's worth anything. You know what? I just bought my wife a ring for 40 years being in this church because the first ring I bought her, I saved my preaching offerings for two years. cost me $190 to buy that ring. That tells you how little I was making preaching. Two years of offerings I saved as a kid preacher. But I thought that was the most expensive thing I'd ever bought or given anybody was that $195 engagement ring. I thought you're capturing a rich boy from Richmond. You better be impressed. Well, it was so weak and tinsel-like, I finally replaced it. But you know what? It was the best I had. All God wants is your best. Give him the best you've got, and you will have honored him. We're late. I can't have any more music. Father, help these people to digest the word. 
and not choke me, but choke you. And they'll find your heart to choke. You've outgiven us, outloved us, outdone us. I'm ashamed that I've given so little. Oh, let me spend the rest of my life trying to give all that's left, all that's left, until I see you face to face. I pray, bless you. Those who do not have jobs, give them jobs. Those whose hearts are cold and shrunk, revive them in their spirit so they serve God with energy, uh, with enthusiasm, and uh, in the fear of the Lord. Bless these precious people who've been paying the rent for 40 years, who've been underwriting this ministry. If they're weary and well-doing, please, Lord, encourage them and let them know their labor has not been in vain in the Lord. And all of God's people said, Amen.